All right, we're live. How you doing, princess? I'm really good. I'm <laughs> cheers. Sorry. Yeah, cheers. For our friends who will be listening to this conversation, I'm here with my best friend and my beautiful wife, whom I love. And today are, we're just having a, a conversation on marriage and we just felt led to turn the mics on and and see where God is leading us with this conversation, hoping that um, as much as we get out of conversations like this, that maybe some of our friends may get some of that as well. So thank you for joining me. This would be your first time on the Wild Sons podcast, uh, obviously, but joking aside, I want this to not feel as a podcast, but just as the conversation we were just having. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here and honored that we get to have this conversation and share it with the people that we love and the people who want them more in their marriages. Yeah. Yes. And so by way of introduction, Juanita, my wife, and I have been married for almost 21 years. Let me rephrase that. Um we were married for 20 <laughs> and we have been married for almost two of our second marriage. Is that, is that fair? First almost one. One, one yeah. year. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A friend of us used to say that his marriage felt like five minutes underwater. <laughs> and I hope that that's not been the case for you, especially on this second marriage. No, it's been amazing. The yeah, second, it's been really beautiful. The second marriage has been the best better than your first yes even my <laughs> first husband <laughs> yeah. your second husband has been better than the first yes I'm, I'm thankful for that yeah last year in july we decided to more than renew our vows to get married again because why not because we wanted to to celebrate uh, who we are and what god is doing again and and to start a new season fresh and clean and it's almost going to be, it's going to be almost a year. It is almost a year now. We're, wow, a month from celebrating one year. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, on, on our conversation today, what we, were, what we were talking about was this idea of wanting the more. Uh, meaning, well, f at least on my, from my perspective, for many years, we really struggled and and. Uh, the word that comes to mind as I think about life in general, including our marriage, was survival. Mm -hmm. With a lot of love and passion and desires and... and Good things. Uh, yeah, great yeah. things. But still, the main theme in my soul was survival. Yeah. And then for another good season, it was primarily restoration. I think we're still in that but we're also enjoying the fruits of that journey of restoration that I, that we have gone through individually for many years now and that as a consequence we have been going through together in our marriage for a few years for many years now but especially the last what decade it's been very intentional and we're seeing the fruit of that and so in in your words uh princess what do you, when when we talk about wanting the more what comes to mind what 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 is it that in your marriage you're longing for or um yeah that you desire in marriage yeah i i think that when you ask that question i think about in our journey we you know we 
this is even though we've been together for 21 years and I think it's things that we had at the beginning that we were not experiencing in the past years and like experiencing more joy experiencing more adventure and laughter and more romance and union mm. i will say union yeah words words that come to mind to me are lightheartedness mm -hmm. um yeah laughter and joy intimacy um emotional spiritually physical intimacy Uh, union with God together, uh, adventure, getting to know each other deeply, like really knowing you, knowing you well, and then and then the joy that comes from that, yeah. the, the increased love. Um, a fun marriage, a fun like when marriage. you think, oh, fun marriage, mm. yeah, yeah. Ooh, yes, a lot. For many years, it was routine, and and again, in my mind, survival. What words would you use? to describe our marriage in its different seasons as you perceive them over the last 21 years? Yeah, so I think from in the beginning, it was just like, what are we doing? Like just the question mark of we want to be together. We said yes to each other. We were committed to living and being married until we died. Mm -hmm. And... I will say that at the beginning it was I don't know what I'm doing, and so let's rewind back to that time. This is the year 2001. We're living in Miami, Florida at the time. I had moved to the U.S. to Miami from Colombia the year before. What do you remember from that? You know, when it comes to marriage, I, re I remember the desire and the passion and the joy and 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 the the hope that things are going to be amazing because yeah. we love each other we love each other deeply and we trust that God has great things for us i was 25 you were 23 yeah. years old i know uh, <laughs> what do you remember from that what was your your outlook of marriage what were you looking forward to what was in your mind or in your heart as we were thinking about planning to get married or had just gotten married? I think that because we, dating was was really fun. Mm. I don't remember us having major issues dating. Do you uh, want me no, to remind no, you no, of a few? Right. Yes, <laughs> never mind. We had but so major was, issues. But I don't know, I think dating, things are more... I'm like I wouldn't this could be a wrong word it was serious but I think that marriage shifted it shifted things to I don't know to, it's hard to explain yeah help me help me here because well I, I don't know if this is what you mean what but what I remember is we didn't have the level of responsibilities that we have today We didn't have two children, a mortgage, jobs. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did work and whatever, but life was basically looking forward to being with each other and having fun. Yeah, because I was 23, you're 25. We're right. not thinking about what are we going to do in f not even five years. At least I wasn't. Hmm. It was just living in the moment. Uh, 
yeah, we from... go out and you know with our friends mm-hmm. you know we didn't have to make big big decisions at yeah. the beginning right well yeah some of them felt like big decisions but in hindsight they didn't have the effect or the weight of um, the decisions that we feel that we have to make in this day and age yeah right yeah uh, feels things felt simpler yeah right life was less complicated uh, is that fair yeah 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 and then yeah there was space for fun where are, where are we going friday night let's go dancing let's go to this restaurant and meet then friends, let's right whatever meet yeah. our friends and go to you know grill and do a barbecue in someone's backyard and uh, go boating on the weekend or whatever it was it was a lot of that was fun and yeah. our friends were incredible and we had incredible fun with them back then and yet right and yet we didn't know what we didn't know is is part of what i think i had no idea what what, what i was getting myself into i'm thankful for that partially but what I do remember is not too long after we got married, I began to struggle with certain things. Things that I, I began to notice things in you that I had not noticed when we were dating. Like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and she's awesome, but I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do I deal with this? And then the, the, just the pressures of life, right? Financial crisis and the economy and... 9 11 uh, yeah, 9-11, all the crises that came with that. And I, I remember the sense of inadequacy and um, moments where I felt I really don't know how to handle her heart, what's going on with her emotions. And my pull was to dismiss that and not even talk about those things, but continue doing the things that I needed to do. Go to work, make it happen, figure it out. And hoping that things are well. And again, big desires for our marriage to thrive. A deep faith and trust in God that he would bless our marriage. But then these things began to pop. And very quickly, I was actually thinking about dates the other day. If we got married in 2001, by 2004, we were on the verge of a divorce. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's... Right? Three years. It, it was within right away. Years. It was within three years. It was very early in our marriage. Um, to be completely open, you know my story. I was dealing with addiction to pornography. And I was um, using the fun and the party and the, the, the friendships, not just to have fun, but as an escape from the realities that I didn't want to deal with. I, I don't know if I have what it takes. To, to handle her heart well, to fight for her heart, to create an atmosphere where she can blossom. Can I pull it off at work? Can I come through financially for us, be a good provider, a good husband, and, and, and eventually a good father? Uh, I was filled with questions, with fear, and with shame of, on one hand, be, wanting to be a good, a good man, but on the other one, going to those places like porn or alcohol or whatever those things were um and 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 feeling the like this weight of the accusation this is the kind of man that you are this is the christian man that you portray to be 
right? You mm -hmm. go to church and smile and worship and say hi to people and meet people in, in the lobby and everyone seems to think that you're a great man and on the inside you're a piece of crap. I, that's what I felt. So yes, on one hand, a lot of fun early on, but on the other hand, and this internal world that was about to explode, this, this snowball growing by the day that ended up exploding around the year 2004, how was that for you? That was my experience of those first few years. The combination of the joy and the fun and the, and the illusion and the desires and the trust and faith in God with also wrestling with this internal world that I didn't know how to handle. How was, how was that for you? When I, you know, I look back at that, those times, and for me was strange but I didn't know what I, you know, you, you talk about your dreams and desires for our marriage. And honestly, I think I was just like riding a wave without having like a, a role to play. Hmm. It's, it's, I will try to explain it as I was just in the moment, just living the day, living in the day, hmm. living the day, uh, no expectations, no dreaming. Like whatever it was at that moment, that's what it was. It's like hope, no hope, kind of like, oh, this is what is marriage. Okay, then this is what it is. And the contrast between what you just said, that was your experience and your internal world back then with what you're describing today, your desire for more joy and laughter and love and intimacy and union and lightheartedness and fun and union with me. Yes. And I think the part that the big part that was missing was it was I was just at the beginning of my relationship with God. Hmm. So new to the Bible or what is who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be a Christian woman? I was clueless hmm. and I think that at the beginning of our marriage, I was bringing stuff from the past, kind of like mm. the before God, the before being a Christian. Like everyone does. And, and, and I think I love the way you're describing it. I think I brought things from my pre-God life and the temptation or as a Christian man, I received Christ when I was eight. I grew up believing in God and going to church and from church to church and trying to find different expressions of what true Christianity was. But when I hear that, the idea of a pre-life God, it sounds like I was a mess. I received Christ and everything became perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's not what you're referring to, no. I think. Um, and I think that that's basically, that that's probably your invitation to dive deeper into into the life of the heart and the life of the heart with God. Yeah. And we'll get there in a moment mm -hmm. because I thought that I had the with life God at the time. I believed in God. I believed that you were the woman God was bringing before me. I loved you. I knew that you loved me. And I believed firmly that God would bless our marriage. And 
1 plus 1 equals 2. We're going to have a phenomenal story. And it's a story of breakthrough and victory and 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 flawlessness. It's sort of, right? Like lack of big issues that happen to other people. And then two years later, again, all of those addictions on my end, on my side of the story, everything ends up popping up. I end up breaking your heart. I see our marriage fall apart. And I didn't understand what happened. And I didn't either. Right? It was like, what in the world happened? Like, this was not the story that God had for us. I didn't imagine that we would end up in a position like this. Why? What happened? And it that coincided to the, with the moment that God brought Jim McCoy, my, our friend, into my life. And he began to open up those categories that, by the way, I have mentioned this in previous episodes of this podcast in our conversation with Jim himself, with Morgan Snyder, with Robert Golter and Sean, etc. The, the reality of the, of the life of the kingdom of God, beyond receiving Jesus and then going to heaven when I die, the, the reality of a, of a profound and deep, intimate relationship, conversational intimacy with Jesus, where his purpose and his mission is way more than my salvation, is my restoration. Mm -hmm. Restoration, the, the full restoration of me as a man, the restoration of my heart and my soul, which implies I need to be restored. From what? And I didn't know it at the time, but I was carrying a lot of baggage, let's call it that for now, from my entire story. And I think that's what you're trying to refer to too, that you were bringing a lot of that baggage into our marriage? Yeah, and I was not even aware of that category of bringing your baggage to your marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not even aware of the word restoration for a human being. Mm -hmm. I was not even aware of the true God in our marriage. Like, mm -hmm. I was not aware of so many things that I'm aware now. Um, I wasn't even aware of your brokenness. I didn't even know, use that word. Brokenness was not a category to mm -hmm. describe the state of the heart of a person. Yep. It was either you are depressed or you're not. You're happy or sad, angry or not. That right. was kind of the words to describe a human being. That was for me. Yep. So as you're expressing how it was for you at the beginning of our marriage, I was clueless of how you were feeling internally. Mm -hmm. And I was probably not even aware of what was happening to me internally. Like I said, I was just going day by day without giving it thought, giving it thought to the reasons of why I was doing things or not doing things, mm -hmm. not going in depth with anything, not even why am I feeling this way? Uh, that wasn't even a question. And the effect of that, which was equally true for me, was that without knowing, we see the world in completely different ways, even though we have a lot in common. And when something happens, your experience of that thing happening is completely different to my experience mm -hmm. of that thing happening. And when that thing involves both of us, we enter into a place of conflict, speaking two different languages, and the outcome is hell. Mm -hmm. It's basically not being able to resolve conflict for the most part. Yeah. And in my case, so at that moment, uh, so our marriage breaks, I'm in this place of desperation, I don't know what to do, and Jesus brings Jim, and Jesus, and, and through Jim, 
Jesus begins to open up this, all these categories of understanding. Number one, that the heart is central. That is not simply our intentions and our desires. All of that are beautiful and important. But at the, the, the centrality of the heart in, in the human person and the importance of the story of our lives and that without me understanding my own story, I am not going to understand why I react to the th to the to to things the way that I do. And if I don't understand your story, there is no way that I can understand why you're reacting to things in the way that you do. And therefore, it's very it's going to be very hard for us to come to the center of each other's stories and be compassionate for each other and be advocates. And instead. It was more like I felt that I was and that I needed to self-protect from you. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you loved me, knowing that I loved you, there was this sense of distance. Of I'm creating unconsciously, but I'm creating this distance so that I can feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I felt you were doing the same. And I was doing the same thing. Right. I was doing the same thing. I was I'm not even aware of the effect of my story as a young girl. I was not even aware of... All the things that I went through and how that was affecting my life and now my marriage. So why don't we take this a little more specifically then? After that intervention, Jim begins to coach me. He begins to bring those those categories into our life, into my life. My heart begins to be restored. I get my heart back. I get my strength back, and as a result, I'm able to re-engage with you and begin to fight for us. And you beautifully decided to engage back and to give our marriage a second chance and we began to rebuild our marriage in, around the year 2006 mm -hmm. and then the, the 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 restoration began and has been snowballing since even until today but it, it started with the centrality of story mm -hmm. and getting to know our each of our stories really well for me to get to know my own story well and to get to know your story really well over time yeah and so to begin to make the conversation more specific. I'd love for us to maybe give a quick overview of that story so that we can see how through the light of knowing our stories, we can begin to come closer to become each other's best advocates and friends and lovers and become students of each other's hearts. Yes. Yeah. So why don't you go first? Yeah. Yeah. yeah go. So you, you were the first one who ever asked me about my childhood, ever. So when you, I, I remember you asking me, you knew some stuff from our, when we began to date, but when you began to ask questions more in detail of, like questions about the heart. And uh, just talking about how was my childhood, how was I treated as a little girl, how did my dad treat me and how my mom treated me. And so I am the third of five children, and I grew up in a violent home. My dad was extremely violent, and he was abusive physically and verbally, constantly, almost every day. And uh, I was not allowed to make mistakes in my house, and when there was a mistake, there was punishment and I was afraid of my father, afraid of him. And um, making mistakes as in what? What do you mean? As in if I was 
doing the dishes and I will break a plate, I will get beat up. Hmm. And he had a rule that if any of my siblings made a mistake, everybody paid for it. So we're five. At that time, we were four because my brother was born later. But we're little girls and we made mistakes. So we got punished constantly. And I learned that mistakes were not allowed. So I learned how to just not rock the boat, not do things, try not to like walking on eggshells in my house. Hmm. So kind of like be invisible. Mm -hmm. And that was my way to protect from my father's rage. And at the same time, while that is happening, uh, my mom is not protecting me and felt completely think unloved Hmm. and felt that I didn't matter Hmm. and that I was worthy of punishment. Yeah, let me reflect back some of what I'm hearing you say. So your dad was violent physically and verbally. One of the rules of the house was that you could not make mistakes, neither you nor, nor, nor your siblings. And that if one of you made a mistake, everyone would pay. Mm-hmm. And um, so as an example, dropping a glass, breaking a glass, something in the kitchen, whatever, uh, everyone would pay. And punishment was given to you and to all your siblings for what any of you did. Mm-hmm. And I, he- I heard you say that you learned to, that you tried to become invisible, not rocking the boat, not speaking up simply disappearing, being present physically, but not really, mm-hmm. being absent of the place, lower the risk of you being punished, of being abused. Yeah. Is that Yeah. Is that fair? That's fair. And also <clears throat> one of the things that, that also happened was that I was not allowed to express feelings. Hmm. I was never told that I wasn't allowed to, but whenever there was a moment where I was expressing anything... I was shut down. Meaning, like, what what happened if you were sad and you were crying? I wouldn't, I couldn't share. If I cried, I will get beat up because mm-hmm. crying was not allowed. If I was in pain because I fell and I scraped my knee, my dad hated the crying or the whining and I couldn't cry. Hmm. So I learn to hold all those emotions inside of me and learn that that was the best thing that I could do. Just keep it all in, not, no express, not even, even if it was good desires. I don't never, I don't remember having conversations with my father about good things or. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want? To do or... What do you want to do? Um, what do you like? He, he, had no idea who I was. Hmm. And then on the other side, I also heard you say that um, while your dad was punishing you and your siblings or abusing you, your mother, your mom was present and she didn't do anything. And that with that, you learned that you were worthy of punishment. Yeah, I learned that I was worthy of punishment, but also that I was not worthy of protection Hmm. and felt alone. And I felt that I didn't matter, that Hmm. I was again invisible yeah invisible Invisible. yes and that was through your childhood 
then at some point later fast forwarding you meet me and you liked something in me that that you wanted to be, be with me so well, I actually your skin color yeah <laughs> of course of course you did but let me re let me rewind before we move into this what words would you use to describe your dad um a monster yeah that's fair give me more try to unpack it more he was just an angry person so he was not angry, safe angry not safe not safe mm -hmm. angry violent mm -hmm. violent um unloving mm -hmm. not interested in me i will so he will he just like the bad guy hmm. like the bad guy and yeah now you meet me and you don't see that clearly when you meet me mm -mm, not at all okay but then we are married and we enter into conflict what is your experience of me then when we begin to have conflicts and i for example i am not if i get upset yeah it was so hard at the beginning because coming out from that way of living as a child that's a little girl and then now having my own home with you um and you even expressing a tone in your voice that's higher than normal that paralyzed me and i was filled with fear close to panic hmm. and disengaging completely i need to be invisible in this Right. And now let's now flip the coins. For me, I grew up in an environment where my my father was not around. My parents divorced when I was five or six. Yeah, really early in my when I was a young boy. And I grew up without the presence, without the active presence of a father, without a, ma a masculine figure. So no one provided love and validation and initiation as any boy needs. And so I grew up watching my friends learn to do things and do things and be part of experiences that I was never a part of and 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 doing things that I never learned to do. I didn't know how to, you know, fix the house or, or a car or fix or ride a bike. None of those things I learned from my dad or from any masculine figure. Some of those things I had to figure out on my own over over time. And so there is always this internal sense of I am unprepared in my soul and i'm not ready for i am questioning whether life is going to throw something my way and i'm going to be able to handle it well and we get married and now for the first time i'm responsible for a, a home and if the light bulb goes off i need to change the light bulb and maybe i can pull that off but if the sink breaks that's completely outside of my 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 skill sets and i'm freaking out because it's one more expression that there is something wrong with me, that I should know these things by now, because everyone knows them. That's what a normal man knows. And I have no idea what to do. And, you know, add to the list how to do a budget correctly, how to, you know, start and, and successfully create a company. You name it. The list can be as long as you want it to be. And the internal sense for me is, holy crap, I, I don't know if I can do these things. And 
by the way. So that's one part, um, being uninitiated, being not ready, unprepared. Hmm. The other one is, but you're on your own, right? Because I never had that active masculine presence in my house teaching me, fathering me, initiating me. Life is up to me. I am on my own and I don't know if I have what it takes. I think I don't. And so once we start having conflicts and there are financial situations, we need to sit down and balance our budget and make decisions on where to spend our money and where not to. And I have certain expectations of what life needs to be like and I have my fears. And what I find is someone who shuts down. Mm -hmm. Holy crap, that just triggers everything in me and it confirms that initial message that I received early on. So to break that down, what we are describing is throughout our stories, we experience deep and profound wounds. Mm -hmm. And in our case, those wounds are very clear and very graphic. The absence of a father, and in your case, extreme violence emotionally and verbally. Mm -hmm. But that is true for everyone else, even though a lot of people may live with their parents and their parents may not be violent. There are always wounds that we receive throughout our childhood. And those wounds shape us. Yeah. And what you were describing just a few minutes ago is how those wounds shaped you and your behaviors and the way in which you approached life, including our marriage. Yeah. And the same for me, right? Because of the wounds that I received and how they shaped me, I began to approach our marriage in a very specific way, yeah. unconsciously. Yeah. I'm not, this is not... not Consciously. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all unconscious. And so there are wounds that we have received and each one of those wounds comes with a message or a series of messages. With every wound comes a message. And what I heard you say in your story is that some of those messages were you are worthy of punishment. You're not worthy of protection. Um, what, what else? What, what else? What other specific messages did you receive through the wounds of your story? That I was stupid. Mm -hmm. That I couldn't do things right. Yeah. That I break everything that I touch, I break. Hmm. Right. Right. And the, and the perception, like imagine your your father's face. Your oh, father's reaction. And I disappoint. Yeah. Right. I And I confess that I, as I'm hearing you talk about at the beginning of our marriage, I came into our marriage be feeling already, oh, I'm a disappointment. I'm not... I'm not a good wife. I can be the wife that you deserved or that hmm. you need. I so was already in that mode in my heart. I'm, a, I'm already a failure in my I'm a failing as a wife. Hmm. Even before getting married. Oh, that, okay. That's just the reality yeah. of who you are. I'm a failure. So period. with the wounds that you received, specifically with, with, with the wounds that you received from your father and his violence emotionally and physically came a message that you are a disappointment, that you're going to disappoint and therefore you're worthy of punishment yeah. and that you're not worthy of protection. Mm -hmm. Right? Correct. Which came through your mom's lack of intervention and doing something to stop the violence against you. Yes. Now, 
if that's your those are the messages of your wounds in my case it's you don't have what it takes and you're on your own hmm. and life is up to you yes those two messages coming from each, each other's other spouse from each yeah. other that is a ticking bomb, bomb. right and it makes me feel it makes me it reminds me of this example uh, just to to bring it into into a clear example of how that affects us so so specifically in the day to day i remember coming home this was now a few years many years after our restoration or or after we came back and began to build our lives we had our children already we have our home and i remember coming back home from work and opening the mailbox getting a few envelopes and then there was what? There was one envelope that had either a red line or red letters or something that caught immediately my attention. And I opened it. Noticed. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a message from the bank that we had not paid the mortgage. And I remember my reaction internally at the time. You were responsible among both of us. You were the one responsible for making sure that the the bills the, were paid. Right, the recurring yeah. bills were paid every yeah. month. And I just remember <clears throat> something, just looking at that envelope triggers something in my heart. And I, I remember entering the house and saying hi or trying to uh, trying to m fake what I was feeling and Joy. say hi, right? <laughs> good to see yeah, you. Yeah, good to see everyone. <laughs> and then um, showing you the envelope with a question, what happened? Right? And my question, the, the two words, what happened? They are not saying anything inappropriate by the law, but they are loaded with contempt. Yeah. They are loaded with contempt. And so I, I would love for you to maybe remember that day? Yeah. Okay. What was your experience of what happened? Oh, yes. So just with your facial expressions, I could tell... I, you see, I don't even know what you're going to say, but I, in that moment, I knew I did something wrong. I must have done something wrong. Again. Again, yes. <laughs> yes. Again. I messed up. Again. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And you asked, what happened? My words, I don't even know what to say. The fear just fills my body. And mm -hmm. it's like you were having a conversation with a five-year-old. I cannot answer what happened. And Even if I did know, I wasn't able to explain it because I was petrified, right. terrified. And so, and what I'm hearing you saying that it's suddenly you just said you're talking to a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. So you're five, and you just broke a glass, mm -hmm. and you're about to receive punishment. Yeah. Right. Yes. And you know that the. What you need to do to try to minimize the pain and the punishment and make it go fast is to become invisible, to receive the whatever's going to happen, yeah. the beating, and then swallow the, the emotions and move on. Yeah, swallow the tears and move on. Right. My attitude towards the circumstance and towards you, me presenting the envelope and saying, what happened, comes with the same message. You see, you're a disappointment. Mm -hmm. You see, you blew it again. Mm -hmm. You see, you're worthy of punishment. Mm -hmm. So brace for punishment yes. and shut your mouth. Yeah. And become invisible. Yes. It is awful. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. 
for me, opening the mailbox and grabbing that envelope and seeing the red notice on it immediately comes with a message that says, there is danger, you're not prepared, something's wrong in life, right? In this case, I may lose my house. And so you see clearly, it's up to you. You cannot, you don't have anyone. You cannot trust anyone. It's up to you. You're on your own. You cannot trust her. If anything is going to happen in life, you better make it happen. Because no one is there for you. Mm -hmm. Life is up mm -hmm. to you. Immediately I am 13, I'm 15, I'm 17, I'm 20, I'm 23, right? And all those ages at the same time feeling the pressure of life is coming against me. And I'm not sure that I'm prepared to handle whatever it's coming. But it's up to me and I cannot trust anyone because I'm, I'm, I'm on my own. And so that is the man that comes inside the house and with the anger and the contempt, I become the perpetrator that you feared when you were gro growing yeah. up. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And so your reaction to that is invisibility. You don't speak. And in your own words, you said, I am engaging now with a five-year-old. So this is a 17-year-old adolescent brat or a 21-year-old young man who feels unprepared for life dealing with a five-year-old who doesn't even, who is incapable of even writing one check and sending it, right? That's the internal conversation. I remember breathing deeply and then going and getting inside, getting in the bathroom and breathing and like, Jesus, help me here, help me here. And your reaction now is you are that five-year-old or you for days yeah, now days. because of course you, you're in panic mode. You're in, you know, if, if the reaction to a threat from life is, fight flight or freeze yours is clearly freeze or flight right uh, flight. <laughs> run away from this yeah. place and you may be present in the house but you're not really engaged mm -hmm. and i may be trying to mimic you know that i'm present and i'm there but really what you're experiencing from me is contempt yeah. which is the most awful expression yeah. within a marriage yeah. and so no wonder that more than 50 percent of marriages fail because when you take the brokenness and the woundedness of two different people and the message that came from those wounds and then the, the way in which we decided to self-protect against the danger that the world brings each of our ways. In my case, I, I come into, into attack. This needs to change. We need to fix this. This cannot be done, which freaks you out, freaks you out because that's... Uh, uh, like a, uh, uh, for you, for the, your broken heart is an expression of what your father was. I've never been violent for you, with you, obviously. But nonetheless, right? The, for the five-year-old in you, yeah. it feels as dangerous as if you were back with your dad. Yes, totally. And for me, I feel as abandoned as I felt from the people around me who never cared for me or taught me or provided for me in the way that I needed to be provided for. Uh, emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually. Division um, happened. Right. I love that you're entering yeah. that. Because it's, a portion is our brokenness, but there is someone behind all of this. Mm -hmm. There is someone trying to create that division. Yes. And one of the, I think the, the, the number one, and we'll be listing, I think, a few key categories that have been super helpful for us to not only be able to deal with conflict better, 
but come to the center of each other's stories, to get to know each other so well and so intimately that we end up falling in love with each other over and over again. But one of the first ones is to understand that, yes, we live in a love story, but is placed in the context of a world at war. Mm-hmm. That we live in a world at war and we have an enemy who is trying to kill and steal and destroy and who is actively using each other's brokenness to enter and create division, which you just mentioned. His objective is to create division between us, division between each of us and God, between each of us, husband and wife. And you multiply that by you know, all the little moments and events and circumstances that happen over the course of the days and the weeks and the years of living together, sleeping together, seeing each other day to day. And no wonder why less than half of all marriages, Christian or not Christian, actually make it. Yeah, because it starts pi- <clears throat> piling up. Yeah. If, you know, if little things or big things are not addressed, there's they're still there inside. Right. Unaddressed doesn't mean they're not there. Which makes understanding this really compelling. Either we deal with it mm-hmm. or we're going to see our marriages fall. Yeah. And so I guess the first category to highlight and reinforce today is that we live in a world at war and we have an enemy who is focused on destroying our marriages. Yes. And in our case, he almost did it. We were separated, living separate lives for eight months on the verge of getting a divorce. And thank God he intervened and he began the most beautiful journey of restoration for both of us individually. And the fruit of that has been our marriage. So understanding that I have an enemy and that that enemy is not my wife. Mm -hmm. Or my husband. That my enemy, as much as it feels like she is when I have that red envelope in my hand, that I'm just trying to make life work and she's making it so hard. Mm-hmm. And that like this is the conversation, just being honest, right? The internal voice is saying, if she could just get her act together, my life would be easier. Yeah. And I'm sure that is similar for you. If, uh, he, for if he me, could only, right? Yeah, yes. But the reality is that my enemy is not her that the the key to a beautiful marriage is not in her getting her act together. It's in me, in me becoming a warrior, a cunning warrior, who can fight off that enemy and a, and a student of my heart and her heart, willing to submit myself to that journey of restoration that Jesus is inviting me into. Mm-hmm. And that as I get transformed, my marriage will be radically improved. Totally. And so I think that understanding the context of the world at war has been a key, a, a key category. And two, understanding that things are going to get better, not when you get better, but as I get restored by Jesus. Yeah. And going back to getting to know each other's stories, because I think that is so key in moving forward to the restoration and inviting Jesus Mm -hmm. and seeing you, seeing your heart as it it truly is, not as my interpretation. Yes. Um, And I love that, that how we have spent so much time 
hours and hours. And this has been something that has happened for, you know, within, it's been a course of more than a decade of me, you, you and I sitting mm -hmm. together at home or at our date night, but hearing our stories. Yeah. And, and it's a fun thing. Yeah. So um, it, it, it may sound as ugh, like we're going to go into suffering and sorrows and things. And of course, there are hard things as we tell each other's stories. But the effect of understanding your story well has been that I feel so close to you, mm -hmm. that I really get to know you intimately. Yes. Not just that you like whatever Chinese food or this type of sushi or this kind of wine, which is awesome. And it's part of, you know, having a beautiful relationship, having great date nights, getting to know each other at that level. But when we get to know each other's stories at the depth, mm -hmm. uh, at this depth, it just takes the level of intimacy to a different level. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I um, realize has been hard even in approaching that is what I was mentioning at the beginning, without me knowing it, there was this sense of mistrust. Because you see me every day, mm -hmm. and you see me in my worst moments. And when something is going on, when, when something is off, mm -hmm. and it sort of triggers me, or I'm, I'm in, in a funk, you're the one who needs to deal with that. And I can hide it from my friends, if I wanted to. Thank God I have a group of guys that know me very intimately as well. But it is very hard for me to hide anything from you mm -hmm. because you're there and you're there. And when you wake up, when I wake up, you're there. And when I go to bed, you're there. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, for many years, my experience was how can I create this distance that makes me feel safe. Mm. Because if she gets to know this level of detail and my vulnerabilities, then I feel at risk. Mm -hmm. But so, explain that. Why would you? <clears throat> why? Why? The feeling of, like, why is it, like, threatening? It is super threatening. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I think I can speak for most men. We don't want to show weakness, mm -hmm. especially with someone with whom I know I'm going to have conflicts in the future. And how are you going to handle my heart? Okay. What's going to happen if I come to you and I open my heart vulnerably and tell you the things that make me feel weak? Mm -hmm. Right? I see. Yeah. Will you... Will you hold on to what's most true about me? Or use that against you? Or will, will, or will you use that against me? And even deeper than that, there is shame in weakness for most men, mm -hmm. um, including myself. I find myself in places where if I am weak, if I feel inadequate in an area, I want to hide that area. Because the, at the, core, the core question of every man's journey is, do I have what it takes? And if there is an area or a portion where I feel I don't have what it takes, my unconscious reaction is to hide that and instead double down on the things where I know that I'm qualified, that I am the real deal, that I'm the, the man and that I have what it takes. And so opening up to those places where I feel vulnerable, weak, accessible, is really risky. It is, yeah. But, but on the other side of that, 
what I what we find is intimacy. And I find the same thing to you. When I find when you are in places where you're trying to be controlling, I, I don't have access to your heart. But if instead you open up and share with vulnerability, that's what draws invites my masculinity to 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 come for you. Invi invites me to bring my strength on your behalf and care for your heart well. Yeah. Now, if your experience of masculinity is what you experience from your dad, of course you're not going to want to do that. You needed to sh shut down and hide. And protect myself, my exactly. life. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Protect your life. But I have found, mi amor, that as you know, just the beauty of being vulnerable, the honor to get to hear your story in such a deep way, it's, it's treasure. It's I get to hear your heart, the reasons why you do things or you do not do things, your desires. And when I hear you and the many times that I've heard your story, it's treasure to me. I don't take it lightly. Mm -hmm. I don't. And the last thing that I will ever, like I think about using that against you, it doesn't even cross my mind. That's your true desire. My true desire. That's yeah. correct. Yes, yeah. my true and, desire. And so is mine. But I know that in a moment of anger or emotional thing, something may come out of my mouth that may hurt you in the place of your wounding and your reaction may be like what what the heck just happened like really and, and and there is that risk because we know each other so well and so the point that i want to make is it is risky to open up our hearts to each other I, so I, it feels it. the risk but it's, it's so, so worth, worth it, it. Exactly. yeah it is yeah, so, so worth, worth it, it. Because on the other side of that is not just the our marriage is fine and is good and we have a great relationship and we respect each other. No, this is a different thing. This mm -hmm. takes us to a different level of knowing, intimate knowledge of each other at the heart level. And it's completely worth it. Yes. And so I, I don't know what you would want to say to maybe, you know, our friends listening about the possibility to listen to each other's stories. How would you start that? How would you go about that? Thoughts, on practical thoughts. Well, I'm just thinking about, at least in our story, what I have experienced is um, just the beginning. What, what, how, just going back to the beginning of Juanita when I was one, two, three, four, you know, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But... You know, I remember you asking me questions about my feelings. How did I feel when I told you when my dad did something or he didn't or my mom or my siblings? But you asked not only what happened, but mm -hmm. how did you feel? Yeah. And that helped me also kind of pause and think, oh, how did I feel? Yeah, name it. And how can, yeah, name it. And that has helped a ton just to even just a question. So how did that make you feel? Yeah. And even if you ask me today, if I'm in a, you know, in a situation and how do you feel now? You know, let's say when you, you know, just going back to the experience when you opened the envelope, we didn't have that conversation in the moment, but imagine we did have a conversation after. And yeah. we talked about what were you feeling in that moment and how was I feeling? Yeah. And just being able to name it helped us like f have the conversation 
and then I think I'm going ahead with the story because no. yeah, go ahead. Because what happened was that you ended up calling the bank. You called the bank. I called the bank. Yeah. And it was actually the bank made a mistake and they sent the envelope by mistake. Yeah, everything was fine. Everything was fine. <laughs> so for me, I was just like, I didn't blow it. <laughs> right. But but it was a I think it was Jesus's humor. Right. <laughs> Because it was like, hey, look at what you're doing. Look at the look. He was his his humorous way of exposing our brokenness. And the way we can react emotionally to a circumstance instead of responding to what God is inviting us into. Using that as a, as a trailhead to turn to him and say, Jesus, I am seeing the check engine light in my heart, not even yellow, but red. But instead of reacting emotionally and blowing up the house and coming with my contempt and my what happened here, Jesus, what happened here in my heart? Yeah. Why is my heart reacting to this in this way? Yeah. That's where the goal is. And in his humor, circumstantially, everything was fine. Yeah. But I felt that I was on my own, that I could not count on you, that I couldn't count on anyone, that the world was collapsing on me and I didn't know what to do about it because I didn't have what it takes. Yeah. And you felt I'm assaulted. Gonna You're going to be punished. I blew it. I did it wrong again. I'm a disappointment. You hadn't done anything and, wrong. But it, the beautiful thing, you know, I think about this example and I think about what if that did happen? What mm -hmm. if I did, yeah. didn't make, wrote the check and send it? Yeah. And what am I going to believe about you when you come and you ask me? Even if happened? I'm angry, even, even if, if the contempt angry. is coming. Yeah. Yes. So it's this place where situations like that have happened again mm -hmm. and The beauty about it is that <laughs> what am I going to do when you ask me that question? Am I going yes. to hide or tell you, you know what? I think I did, didn't, or let's say, mm -hmm. what if I would have said to you, open the envelope, let me see what it says. Yeah. And my reaction could have been like a grown up, like, oh my gosh. You know I, what? I didn't do I, it. I didn't do it and I forgot. Yeah. You know what? Let me call the bank and see if they can whatever. Yeah. And, you know. And let me deal with my crap. Yes. On my own. Right. Yes. Because you don't have to. You don't. Have, there is no reason for you to have to deal with my warfare, with my brokenness. Yes. And at the same time, there's this part of me that Paulo is <clears throat> not going to harm me. Mm -hmm. You're not. I'm you're not in living no danger. with my father. Right. I'm living with my husband. Right. So But for that to happen, I mean, easier said than done. Yeah. Right. Easier, easier said now, not when you're feeling that you're five and you're in danger yeah. again. And so I guess recapping on some of the categories we're talking about. Number one, we're in a world at war and the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is the enemy. Mm -hmm. Right. Who wants to kill, steal and destroy. Number two, because that enemy is real and he's been trying to kill, steal and destroy it during your entire life and my entire life, I need to go back into my story to understand how I, my heart has been assaulted and wounded, what messages have come with those wounds, and then how I have learned to self-protect yes. from the danger of the world, right? By fighting back, by becoming aggressive and making things happen, or by shutting down like you, or by becoming just, you know, super... Uh, are we okay and I'll do what, whatever you want. There are different ways in which we have reacted, multiple ways, to try to make life work 
as a result of our need for self-protection. Mm-hmm. But then how do we restore from that? How do we how does that change? Because this is not self-help. This is not just try harder. That's impossible. Yeah. Thank God. Because yeah. that would be too much pressure. But then the beauty of inviting Jesus, Jesus to heal those places. Yes. And that's a journey. And that's going to take a yeah, whole life. Overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. But just to name it. And uh, I hope that we continue having conversations like this too bring more light into how that has happened in our in our hearts and in our lives but starting with jesus take me back into my story um show me those wound those wounds that i received take me back to those wounded places and and being willing to go back and remember and mm-hmm. feel the pain and the hurt and then to say jesus i invite you to heal me and I invite your healing presence into my heart. And if you're in a quiet place where there's no distraction and you linger there to invite Jesus into that space to heal those wounds mm-hmm. and then to speak what's most true. Am I a disappointment, Jesus? In my case, am I really on my own? And to trust that he wants to answer that question. And that answer may come in prayer. Hearing from Jesus in that moment where you're inviting him. Or it may come in the next days and weeks in ways that you don't know. He's completely creative and beautiful in the ways that he does it. But he wants to heal that. So that we don't get triggered by those things in the way that we used to get triggered. I'm blown away by your reactions nowadays. I come today with an ex- with something similar to the example of this envelope and you don't shut down that hasn't happened in a long time with the level of trauma that you experienced is miraculous and of course there is way more healing available for both of us there is a long journey of that but what we have experienced is so deep and so beautiful and it is available Mm -hmm. jesus wants to come and heal those places yes and the other part is getting to know your story I feel compassion. It's not mm-hmm. it's not that I'm against you. Like I know your story and I know that if you're going through something that triggers your heart, I know that if you're triggered, it's because of something that it's way deep in your heart. And mm. instead of me coming with anger or with whatever, like I have compassion because I know your story. Hmm. and I well, can oh, come so in the important. center into that yeah. and actually help you come out of that. Yes. Like if the pipe breaks mm-hmm. and you feel like, what am I going to do? Because I know your story. You were never initiated. You never had a father mm-hmm. who taught you how to like fix a broken pipe. And if you are in this place where you feel inadequate that, and you feel maybe angry because you don't know how to fix it, and you're showing anger, I know that you're not angry at me. I know that you are angry at the situation because something is triggering in your heart and I can come and give you the space, mm-hmm. not try to fix you or give you the solution, but I need to give you, I. this is what I do. I give you the space so you can not figure it out on your own because I can offer my help, but to understand that you need your space and you need God, or you can call a friend. Mm-hmm. That's a spectacular. Do, does that make sense? Uh, 
a hundred percent and one extra layer that i see in what you're saying is that understanding that our emotional reactions to current events are not a reflection on you Mm -hmm. exactly that even if i blow up and i'm super angry and whatever my reaction is because of the pie broke in the past the message that used to come with that was you see you did something wrong you are a disappointment and punishment is coming but now you because we know each other's stories and we know the effect of the war against our hearts throughout our stories when you react emotionally in in a way in certain way you can be i don't know you're in a funk you're reacting in anger to something that i told you I can rest in knowing that even if I did something wrong, your reaction is more a reflection of your story and how this circumstance triggered it. But if there is, if your reaction is not proportionate to the actual thing that happened, I know that I can be at peace and I can come and help you instead of trying to prove that I'm right. Mm-hmm. and continue the the cycle make sense yeah i think that was what i was trying to say <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it looks like we're on the same page <laughs> healing is available and then another important thing that i would say is getting rid of the third person in the room oh yeah and it's super hard i mean it is it is not hard it's simple but when you have to do it you don't want to do it no when you're in it And this is what I'm referring to. I'm exhausted. Coming back from work. And I'm finally going to make it home. I'm going to rest. It's been a hard day. And I walk into the house. And I can smell the atmosphere already. And you're overwhelmed by something. Of course, I am not thinking on the way home that you've been dealing with the kids all day and with a hard day and this and this and that and driving around and doing like being an Uber driver for two kids. And your day has been madness, but none of that is my radar. I'm just thinking how hard the day was for me. And I enter and I just smell the atmosphere. You say something short to me. Uh, Why didn't you leave your shoes somewhere? I'm making something up now. And immediately I'm like, what the heck? And, and my reaction is something. And in three seconds, we don't want to see each other's faces. Yeah. In that moment, recognizing that the enemy is not you, but is Satan, the actual enemy who wants to kill, steal and destroy, create division between us. And instead of letting you deal with my wrath to pray, and to stand against the enemy of my soul. And in the same way that a Navy SEAL team comes into a building and they do a raid and they clear the building from the presence of all enemies. And at the end they say, clear, all clear. That means there is no third person in the room. The good guys have complete control over the room and therefore they can lower their weapons <laughs> and disarm. Disarm. That's what I need to do when I come into the room. To realize that there's a third person in the room who is whispering to you 
things about me and whispering to me things about you because he is the accuser of the brothers and sisters and he's trying to put us against each other. And at that moment, honestly, it feels like you're the enemy. And it feels like I want you let I want to let you deal with my wrath and to develop this warrior heart. And this is true for men and women, for husbands and wives. And instead to say maybe something like, I'll be right down, princess, I'm going to go to the bathroom really quickly because I'm about to explode and close the door of the bathroom and there to stand and say in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ, I command you gone from my house. You have no authority in this place and I banish all forms of division and strife and accusation against my wife and then choosing to believe what's most true about you. Mm-hmm. You are my wife and you love me and you are for me and I am going to be for you even though I don't feel like it at the moment, even though I don't want to at the moment, but to develop this strength to establish um, the perimeters of my house and to not allow that third person in the room to continue to be inside. And that along with that consecration of my home, Jesus, this is my house. I bring it under your authority and cover it. And I forbid the presence of my enemy in this house and become a spiritual warrior for my house. And that changes the atmosphere. It actually works. And the level of breakthrough and freedom and peace that we have come to experience by exercising our strength and the authority that Christ has given us as we continue to submit ourselves to the journey of healing individually it just makes you know so much difference one of the things that helps me when we're in situations like that where I'm not seeing you as who you are um, I literally even if I'm with the kids because I you know I I cannot just leave the house and go mm-hmm. for 10 minutes and leave them alone. I, it has to right. be in the house. Right. So what I do is where I, whatever, wherever I am, I close my eyes and I ask Jesus to show me the truest thing about you. And I literally get images of you. Like mm. you, like I picture your face, your smile, your true heart for me. And I even get some memories of where I have felt so loved by you. And that literally begins to shifts, clear the, shifts wow. my heart to see the truest you. That's cool. And that actually happened today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're going to leave it at this. I'm kidding. Yeah, anything like you want to share more on that? No, but I, I'm. I mean, I'm just giving this example because just maybe if the person doesn't have the words to pray that prayer, mm-hmm. is visualizing your spouse. Hmm. Jesus, let me see, see her how, how you, you see, see her. her. And hmm. Jesus shows me how I see, how he sees you. Hmm. And just that visual image in my mind shifts my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And on the warfare prayer that you mentioned, I mean, I we have our ways and we have been learning from, you know, mentors that have been going ahead of us for many years, but it doesn't have to be complex or complicated. We have the authority of Christ given by Jesus to us. And we have authority over our homes. It's our kingdom. And we can exercise it. And the language doesn't have to be complex or complicated. It can be Satan in, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. Yeah, exactly. Right? 
I, I, I accept none of this in Jesus' name. Be gone is what Jesus did in at the end of his trial in the desert. Simply like that. In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. I make no partnerships with you here. I make no agreements with you here. I'm going to believe what's most true about my wife. And I'm going to have a phenomenal night with her and my kids. Yes. And even saying things like... Um... Like, I will give the example of this morning. I was feeling overwhelmed with things that I was doing in the house and the kids were asking me for things at the same time and I had to walk the dog and I, you know, there were things that I I had, like, multitask and I was feeling the overwhelm. And in that moment, the enemy came and whispered mm. the lies. I'm on my own. I don't have help. Pablo doesn't help me. And I ended up walking Aslan, the dog, by myself. And in that walk, it was like a five to ten minute walk. And I realized that I was partnering with the enemy. He was telling me, you see, Pablo doesn't help you. You're on your own. You got to do everything. You, It's up to you, basically. And I said i think he even said it out loud no he's for me mm. and he wants to help me and you were not feeling that though no right but even saying those things the first time i didn't feel it and i was probably saying it with anger like he he he, he loves you he wants to help you but it shifts really fast like mm -hmm. in that moment it happened quick I'm not saying it's like that all the time, but in this situation this morning, I made agreements then with the truth. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is for me. And, and and he wants to help me. He's actually with the kids right now. I'm walking the dog, but he's probably at home helping me with the kids or, you know, but I, it was just this moment where I was just speaking the truth. Hmm. And maybe the first and second, the first and second time he didn't feel that truth. But the third and fourth, it felt true because I began to see the truth. You are for me. You want to help me. And I, I even asked myself, Do, does Pablo really want to see me struggling in the house? And does he enjoy seeing me do all these things by myself? No, he doesn't. He wants to help. If he sees me, he wants to rescue me from the place that I am hmm. and that overwhelm. And that is true. Yes, it is. Uh, I love what you're mentioning because I think that the hardest part of all of this is to distinguish what's most true versus what I feel at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we have we live in a society, in a, in a culture where feelings equal truth. And that is not that's not the way it is. That is not true. The feelings are a beautiful gift from God and they need to be honored they need to be shepherded, and they need to be governed. The emotions are given by God to indicate things that are happening deeper in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling of um, overwhelmed or the feeling of anger towards me. I'm angry because he never, he never helps me or... I'm angry because she I can never count on her in my case. It could be a, a, a common phrase that the enemy 
puts in my mind about you, that accuses you to me, saying, you see, you can never count on her. Uh, and it feels like that. It feels that it's true. And that battle is going on in my mind. And if I don't win that battle, and if I make agreements with what the enemy is telling me, I give him a foothold in my heart. Mm -hmm. I give him a part of the territory of the geography of my heart for him to rule over. And then he can work from that place. Yeah, because then you have cr create contempt, anger towards me. Correct. And that becomes the fruit and of having made that agreement. Yes. If I can never count on you, which is the whisper that I hear from my enemy. I don't know that is my enemy, right? It feels true. The evidence proves it. Not really. That is not true. By the way, those phrases, she never fill in the blank. He never or he always fills in the blank. Mm -hmm. Those often are indicators. Are indicators of mm -hmm. there is an agreement, like a, a partnership. I came to believe a lie of the enemy as if it was true. Mm -hmm. Instead of staying in the truth she didn't pay the mortgage that may be true that is a fact well in, our, in your case you had paid the mortgage the example <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but today like you know if for example i didn't wash the dishes whatever he didn't wash the dishes today that may be absolutely true but when you say he never yeah. does it that's what's going to start a fight because you make agreements with that, you verbalize this, which feels to me like an accusation, instead of staying in the truth, staying in the facts, and separating facts from your interpretation of the facts, which is colored by the accuser of the brothers, by the one who's telling you that I'm a piece of crap, yeah. that I'm not a good husband, that I'm whatever, fill in the blanks. And so from the example that you mentioned this morning, the beauty of being able to distinguish what you were feeling at that moment. He's not helping me. I'm on my own or I have to do all of these things by myself. From the truth. No, I do receive help. He is for me. And you actually offer help, but I was in my crap that I refused your help because I made that agreement that, oh, I'm just going to do it on my own. Right. I, I don't need any help. I don't need anyone. And then you offered help and I don't even have the eyes to see you loving me in my place where you see me overwhelmed and I'm rejecting your offer to right. help me. So Because you're in self-control mode because again. My, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it is so tricky. <clears throat> yeah. And those are the moments where I think that the counsel, the simplicity of the counsel you're giving is beautiful. Sit down and say, Jesus, what is the most, the truest thing about Pablo? Allow me to see him the way that you see him. And I choose to believe that that's what's most true. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you came back from walking the dog and you gave me a hug. And you said, with tears in your eyes, I'm feeling overwhelmed. But you the tears were a reflection of you were now connected with your heart mm -hmm. and you were being vulnerable, which invites me to come now to the center of your story and say, I'm so sorry that you're feeling like that. What's going on? How can I help? Mm -hmm. What does your heart need? Mm -hmm. Right? Which was the opposite to the conversation before you left to walk the dog. Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? No, I got it. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. Okay, you go do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And which adds to the overwhelm, of course. Yeah. There is one more category that I want to invite you to talk about. Because this hell is going to help a ton 
hopefully, and I hope that it was not too much or too overwhelming, um, it is a journey and it needs to take a lifetime. Mm -hmm. This is not overnight. On, on this, before we get into the new this last category, I'd love to just summarize a few things. We live in a world at war. We have an enemy. The enemy is not your spouse. Mm -hmm. Get to know each other's stories. Pour a glass of wine mm -hmm. and on a Friday night, on a date night, and then say, all right, tonight it's all about you, and I want to hear your story and not interrupt you, and only maybe ask some clarifying questions. And start with how was your childhood and what was your relationship with your dad like and what was your relationship with your mom like and were they together and how did they care for your heart? How did you feel when you were with your dad? How did you feel in this circumstance when you were with mom? And start there mm -hmm. and let Jesus, let the Holy Spirit guide that conversation and for the one who's sharing the story, be willing to open up and share. The spirit of shame speaks that there is something fundamentally wrong with me, that if it comes into light, people will reject me or mock me or shame me. Or be disappointed. Or, disapp or, disapp or be disappointed at me. That is the voice of the enemy. The spirit of shame is defeated by turning the light on. Mm -hmm. And so as we share our stories with each other, the things that we may be ashamed of in our story, in our sexual past, sexual life, or in mistakes that we made, or in things that we feel we're guilty of in our childhood, wounds that we received, awful experiences, whatever it is, the moment we begin to verbalize them and name them, shame loses its power. Mm -hmm. And what better to have each other, the strength of each other, to go through this journey of beginning to verbalize and name and share our stories vulnerably, openly, authentically. The effect of that is to, is intimacy, is... Union. Union, right? and deeper love and yeah. compassion you were as yeah. you were saying yeah and so sharing each other's stories in sharing each other's stories understanding what wounds did you receive what wounds how has your heart been wounded what have been the messages of those wounds and how did you learn to self-protect how what vows did you make what unconscious decisions to be able to deal with life in a way that prevents pain from happening, prevents fear from entering, prevents shame from, from appearing. And that'll dictate, that'll shine a lot of light into how each of us is dealing with conflict and dealing with, our re with relationships in the context of marriage. And finally, uh, an important thing, to break that agreement that if she gets her act together, my life would be better to become responsible for our side of the street mm -hmm. and, and to be willing to engage with Jesus in this journey of healing and restoration that he's inviting us into. This feels great. This yeah. feels like a good portion for tonight. Yes. And I would love to do this again. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Really good stories that we can share.
and Jesus once more. I love to close with <clears throat> remembering our mentors and friends, Morgan and Sherry Snyder. In the year 2004, I was driving home from work and I was listening to Morgan Snyder's podcast and he was uh, he had invited Sherry, his wife, to the podcast. And they were going to talk about marriage. And at the beginning of that episode, before they started, Sherry began to pray. And in her prayer, she asked Jesus for them, Morgan and Sherry, to experience the fullness of what's available between a man and a woman on this side of heaven. And I remember how the Spirit nudged my heart with that prayer. And I had to pause and rewind and listen to it again. And it's become a signpost, a compass, and uh, pointing is the compass pointing north. That's what we want. And that's what we think is available. And I think from the bottom of our hearts, we'd love to offer that as an invitation for any marriage couple who is listening to this podcast to dare to pray, to experience the fullness of what's available between a man and a woman on this side of heaven. To experience the fullness of what God thought of in Genesis 1. Naked and not afraid in the garden. Walking in the, in the garden in the, cool, in the cool of the day with God. In intimacy with, with God himself and in intimacy with each other. I think we'll leave our friends with that mm -hmm. today. Anything else you'd like to share or to say? We're good? We're good. Would you like to pray for us? Yes, I would love to pray for us. Dear God, thank you. I want to thank you for the gift of marriage. I want to thank you for what you intended marriage to be before the creation of the world. I pray, God, that as every woman and man listening to the podcast, that a seed will be planted in their hearts to fight for the more, to fight for what's available between a man and a woman on this side of heaven. God, I consecrate our marriage and all these marriages here listening, Father. And I pray, Father, that you will come into the center of every relationship here and that you do what you do best, which is to restore and to renew the hearts and to restore and renew marriages. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you. Amen.